Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. I'm Sasha Barbagat. On today's ep, we're looking into research that links domestic violence with hot weather. This is an Australian study that looked at close to a million reported incidents of all kinds of assaults and found that as temperatures increase, so too does violence. It was very evident that there is an association between temperature and aggressive behaviour. With climate change meaning we're in for more frequent and intense heat events into the future, we'll chat to the researchers about how this impacts human behaviour and the reasons why the effect of heat is greater on domestic violence than other types of crime. But first, here are today's headlines with Katrina Blowers. It's Tuesday the 19th of December. Hey, Sasha. Hi, everyone. Well, we've got some good news from far north Queensland. The flooding situation in far north Queensland has eased, but there are still many communities from Cooktown to Innisfail, which remain cut off. Cairns Airport has now confirmed it is back up and running. A number of planes were inundated by floodwaters. The tarmac even went under. But if you've got some Christmas plans, uh, you'll still need to check with your airlines because whether or not flights go ahead is up to the airlines themselves. The estimated hit to the tourism industry at one of the region's busiest times of year has already estimated to have passed $60 million. So there'll be some more attempts to evacuate the remote Indigenous community of Wajal Wujal today after bad weather hampered efforts yesterday. They tried to send some shoppers in and they had to turn them back around again. So yeah, not too much information about what life is like on the ground there at the moment with a number of people stranded, Sasha, but some wild video out of cans with, you know, cows being washed down the river and ending up on the main highway there, even a crocodile swimming down the main street. Yeah, and I saw they managed to wrangle the little guy or girl and um, pop it in a cage and take it away because, yeah, it was just swimming down the main street. I guess that's far north Queensland for you, hey, Katrina. Um, But the other good news is um, Cairns residents uh, have been cleared to drink water from their taps again. It was damaged. The water treatment plant was damaged uh, by debris, but that issue's been fixed now. So it looks like things are starting to ease up up there. But of course, you know, there's going to be a big cleanup. Uh, they haven't even got to estimating the damage bill yet. So uh, yeah, my thoughts are with everyone up in far north Queensland having to deal with all that right before Christmas. The former Chief of Staff of then-Defence Minister Linda Reynolds has been allowed to give evidence in the Bruce Lehrman defamation case behind closed doors. The trial, in which Lehrman is suing Channel 10 and Lisa Wilkinson, has been live-streamed on YouTube, but the feed was pulled yesterday afternoon after Justice Michael Lee ruled Fiona Brown could present her evidence in a closed court due to concerns for her mental health. Journalists were allowed to stay and they reported Brown was quizzed about an initial meeting with Brittany Higgins when it is claimed the young woman first reported the alleged rape. Uh, Katrina Brown is expected to continue giving evidence today. 
Yeah, and Sasha, some pictures have um, been published in papers and online this morning of Brittany Higgins and her partner, David Shiraz, leaving Australia late last night. They boarded a plane to Singapore, which will then take them to France. It's believed that Brittany Higgins has bought a house there in the south of France in a tiny little village um, population, about 670 people, um, and it's understood that that's where they're going to resettle. Um, it's been a very um, intense few years for them. So it's understood that they've said goodbye to family and friends and are beginning a new chapter of their life. A significant position change for the Catholic Church overnight. Pope Francis announcing an approval for priests to bless same-sex and unmarried couples. So the ruling does come with some caveats, unsurprisingly. The blessings can't feature any sort of rituals that are similar to marriage and they can't give the impression of the formal union. Uh, The Pope's also stated the change doesn't show approval, but is rather a sign that God welcomes everyone. So, Katrina, I mean, this is a big change up from the language being used back in 2021 uh, when the Vatican said the Catholic Church couldn't bless same-sex couples because God doesn't bless sin. So, progress there, I suppose. Yeah, but it does seem a bit insulting if it can't feature any sort of ritual similar to marriage and can't give the impression of any kind of union. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I wonder how many people will take this up. It's kind of a PR move almost because it acknowledges that it needs to be welcoming of everyone and uh, the Catholic Church isn't well-renowned for being that way. So I suppose this is one of those options for, for the Vatican to go, how can, we, how can we hold on to people who don't fall into a heterosexual marriage, you know, convention? So I don't know. We'll see if that works. The platform X, formerly known as Twitter, has come under fire by the European Union. The EU announcing formal infringement proceedings under a law designed to combat disinformation and hate. These proceedings partly relate to posts following Hamas's attack on Israel. So this investigation is going to be looking at X's new community notes feature, and that allows users to comment on posts to flag false or misleading content effectively crowdsourcing, fact-checking to users. I wondered whether this would have any kind of impact at all, but apparently under these new regulations, they can impose a fine worth up to 6% of the company's global turnover And if it's seen to have committed repeated violations, the EU can even ban the platform. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, You know, X has been known to be toxic for quite a while. It's why I'm no longer on it. Um, So, you know, a crackdown, I think, is necessary. Another interesting thing that this review is going to look at, Katrina, is uh, X and the blue check marks, which used to only be handed out to verified public figures, politicians, celebrities, you know, people like that. But now anyone can essentially buy them if they subscribe to the platform. And so it's going to be looking at uh, the transparency around suspected deceptive practices by X with these blue check subscriptions. I think that's going to be really welcomed by a lot of people because people are confused now. Like, what does the blue check even mean anymore? Is it worth anything? So I think that's a good thing. 
And a man has been swarmed by Secret Service police in the US state of Delaware after he accidentally crashed his car into Joe Biden's motorcade. Luckily, no one was hurt and the president was actually down the street at the time. He was having a campaign dinner with his wife, Jill. They were on the street about to head off. They heard this crash up the street uh, and officers surrounded this vehicle with guns drawn. The guy inside was seen with his hands up, but it was confirmed fairly quickly that it was an accident and not something more sinister. Katrina, can you think of anywhere worse to accidentally crash your car? This poor guy was probably just trying to have date night with his wife and... (laughs) (laughs) What a way to end the evening. You know, this would be something that maybe, hopefully, they could laugh about in years to come as the worst ending to a dinner ever. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, the roads were wet as well. It had been raining. So the poor guy probably just went on the skid and yeah, bad place to crash a car. Everyone's okay though. And uh, he's all good, confirmed. Nothing more sinister behind that. Thanks, Katrina. Next up is your chat looking into the link between hot weather and domestic violence. Now to our briefing on hot weather, hot tempers and the troubling increase in not just overall violence, but in particular domestic violence during summer months. Joining us now is Heather Stevens, who is part of the team from Macquarie Uni, who carried out this research. Heather, why did you and your team start researching temperature and aggression? Oh, look, it actually came from a personal experience. I've been a climate scientist um, for most of my career working around climate change, but it was one hot summer's day and I was home with my children and I got a bit frustrated and I did something terrible. I kicked over my son's Lego set. It was a moment of frustration and if anyone who's a parent, they know that Lego worlds are real worlds. And I was looking back at my actions later that day and I'd obviously apologised to my son and rebuilt this Lego set, but I thought, why did I act so much more out of character. And I thought it's because I was hot. And I thought if this is my own situation, living uh, in a house with insulation and air conditioning, what is this going to mean for our future as we experience hotter temperatures from climate change? So I knew that there was a need to talk about the relationship between temperature and aggression. And I guess in that moment, there was a clarity that this could be something that I could definitely um, spend my time delving into. So yeah, it all started with a Lego set, I've got to say. <laughs> you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to empathise with you here. I once threw one of my kids' toys out of a moving car window on a really hot day when I got mad. So it's okay. <laughs> That's a really hard one to retrieve as well. <laughs> yeah. And it's ended up being one of the things that my kids and I now laugh about. So, you know, that that's a good thing as well. But this can be quite serious and you've looked at much more serious um, incidents of aggression and violence. What particular types did you study? Yeah. So an easy form of quantitative data is reported incidences of crime. So they're incidences of crime that have been reported to the police. And in those categories, I broke it into domestic violence. So violence within um, an intimate family setting, non-domestic violence, so generally between strangers or peers, and sexual assault. These were incidences of crime that had been reported to a police, not related to whether it did proceed to court or if there was hospitalisation, but if it was registered on the police system. So um, we looked at about 13 years of incidences of violence in New South Wales and looked at trends by temperature, season, day of the week and a whole lot of other patterns as well. So what were the main findings of your research then? It was very 
evident that there is an association between temperature and aggressive behaviour. We found that there's a higher incident of assaults, of all types of assaults, in every LGA across New South Wales in summer rather than winter, with a few exceptions of snow tourism areas where they have obviously more people gathering um, during winter. But generally, you do experience a higher um, amount of assaults during summer than you do in winter. Looking at it monthly, hotter months have higher counts than um, colder months. And by day, as the temperature increases, so do incidents of violent crime. So generally, there's a pretty um, clear curve between comfortable temperatures to warm temperatures, that there is an increase. But when it gets to extreme temperatures, that's where some of the really interesting findings and differences were coming out. That was going to be my question. Is there a tipping point with temperature? Is there something, you know, say above a certain temperature, that's when things start getting quite significant? Yeah, certainly um, there is a difference between comfortable, warm and extreme heat. So I think it's worth stepping back actually to why the association may be between temperature and aggression because that can help explain why those differences between comfortable heat and uncomfortable heat are different. And we all like to think that it's physical, like we talked before about having that icky feeling of being sweaty potentially or lethargic. Um, The physical impacts on our body are very obvious and we do experience those and we might have sleepless nights we might have um, you know a change in the way that we're feeling and that can lead to increased feelings of irritation which may lead to um, incidences of acting more aggressively but actually more of the trends I think are from behavioral changes so in warm comfortable weather we tend to socialize more it's summer holidays school might be off we spend time with our family we go out in longer days we may drink more alcohol and all these interactions with more people provide more opportunities or motivations potentially to have incidences of violence. When we get to extreme temperature, behaviours change again. So in extreme temperature, we may not do as much socialisation out of the house. We might actually retreat indoors. So in extreme heat, sports may be cancelled, outdoor workers may be sent home. You might congregate into the one room of your house that has air conditioning. And now there's a different kind of social stress. So you are behind closed doors, potentially uh, with family members, and there's not as much ability to escape from um, social interactions that may result in incidences of violence. So there are definitely trends. The trends that we saw, which I think were most striking, was we looked at the difference between domestic violence and non-domestic violence, but then whether they occurred indoors or outdoors. So outdoors are things like parks or playgrounds or streets, and indoors are generally in our homes. And we found that outdoors, non-domestic violence, so the kind of violence that's between, say, peers, strangers, it decreased in extreme heat. And it might be, as I said, that in those extreme heat moments, people are going indoors, going home, avoiding that heat by getting out of that situation. But what we found indoors was that domestic violence skyrockets. So potentially, there might be that incidences of violence are transferring from outdoors to indoors, behind that closed doors where there's not people to potentially uh, intervene before violence occurs or to be a witness and dissipate that impact. So certainly, there's a different trend between different types of violence and in different types of temperature. What can we do about this? What, What are some of the things we can be doing to address this? The first one is we need to address the uh, complex and um, large-scale issues that do lead to violence, particularly around domestic violence. So that's an area that um, obviously we need to continue doing work on. As a climate scientist, though, I'm more interested in terms of the relationship to climate. I definitely think the second big thing is to make strong actions against climate change. We know that with climate change, we're likely to experience more frequent, more intense, more severe heat waves 
both in Australia and globally. And that is going to impact because we're going to have more impacts from heat on potentially on violence. So I like to quip that if uh, climate change occurring is not already making you angry, then the weather will make you. And I hope that my research is just another motivation for us to take drastic measures on climate change. I think from a practical perspective, what can you do in extreme heat? We are experiencing extreme heat across the country at the moment. Seeking out ways that you can keep cool are important. So thinking about access to cool spaces. Air conditioning is not available for all people. I find that um, we know there's a discrepancy between access to air conditioning and socioeconomics. So you might be in a house that doesn't have air conditioning or you can't afford to run air conditioning um, or your house may have poor insulation or be located with poor other options for cooling, like taking uh, a private car, you might have to be walking to a bus stop. So there are lots of reasons that socio inequalities and temperature exposure are related. So addressing those is important. But um, I recommend visiting cool spaces. We really love to promote the idea that there are cool spaces out there which are free. Libraries are a great example, uh, council-owned swimming pools. And these are areas where you can go and do your homework, watch a movie, you know, be there and linger and not have to feel you can have to spend money like a shopping centre. So looking out for free cool spaces where you can uh, retreat from that heat in extreme weather is great. But yeah, also thinking about the way that we address the way that our buildings are designed and our cities are designed to make them equitably cool for everyone. Yeah. And, and given that, you know, the, the majority of domestic violence occurs behind closed doors in private spaces, as you say, it is key to seek out not just um, free, cool spaces, but public spaces too. Yeah, potentially that's right. And as I said, the biggest thing is to address the cultural and um, reasons behind domestic violence, which are large and complex and much bigger than just talking about climate. But from a climate perspective, it is good to, to narrow down on knowing that in extreme heat events, I believe we need targeted responses for vulnerable populations. So just like during a heat that beat the heat campaign, we tend to look out for elderly neighbours or we think about our pets. I think we also need to think about what are the impacts on domestic violence and how do we actually reach out to services and offer them more support in times of extreme heat. So I think it's another layer we need to start considering in heatwave management planning. You also looked at online anger. I found this fascinating that it wasn't just person-to-person -person violence or aggression that increased in heat. People got really hot under the collar on social media too. <laughs> yeah, I... Because I said that I started this project by thinking about my own personal experience, I wanted to look at other metrics for aggression that weren't just violence because a lot of people haven't been a perpetrator of violence and so they might think, well, this is not something that applies to them, they're not something that's being affected. And I thought, what other metrics are out there of measuring aggression that's not reported crime. And a really beautiful one emerged, which was social media sentiment. So sentiment means essentially emotion. And there's been a really wonderful algorithm by our very own CSIRO, uh, Data61, who made an ability to read the the sentiment from Twitter content, now known as X. So our, my research looked at 74 million tweets over about a 10-year period, and it read them for what kind of sentiment. So I was interested in anger, which was things like, rage, uh, vile, uh, so really sort of angry words, and then what that looked like against temperature and trends. It's really hard for sentiment because you might have a sentence that actually sounds rageful, but it's actually sarcastic. So the algorithm is very beautiful and is continuously being improved, I think, in this space about how we read sentiment from social media, but generally looking for angry words. And we, we know we don't want more of that kind of stuff on the internet. So the findings were interesting, um, mostly that we tend to use, we tend 
tend to tweet less in comfortable weather. So there was a decrease in angry tweets as weather went from to into that warm, comfortable space. And that was across the board for other kinds of sentiment as well. So we tend to tweet less when the weather is good. When the weather got extreme, the trends were less clear because um, there's less days of the extreme heat, but we did see a sign that it either increased or at least plateaued. So it looks like that in extreme heat, we do indeed start to have a higher amount of angry or aggressive texts and tweets in that period. So again, it just shows that there is a difference between comfortable hot and extreme hot. And potentially you are also going to be likely to be a bit more aggressive than you might normally be if the weather outside is particularly hot. So on a hot day, I would definitely recommend also potentially withholding sending that kind of message or email until the weather has become a bit more clement. So the people surrounding Elon Musk and Donald Trump need to keep those two guys in comfortable air conditioning at all times and away from social media if it gets too steamy in summer. That's what I'm hearing here. I think those people could do some advice on their Twitter content regardless of the weather, but yes. That was Heather Stevens from Macquarie Uni. And one thing Heather also mentioned to me off air is that hot weather can have an effect on road rage too. They did a study where they looked at how long it took for somebody who uh, sat at a traffic light after it had turned from red to green, how long it took for the person behind them to honk. And that time between the lights changing and people honking dramatically shortens when the temperature climbs. I don't think that's any surprise to any of us. Listener.